Listener Production. to Darling Shine, a podcast by myself, Elodie Pullen, and me, Chloe Fisher, a place where we ground womanhood's unspoken experiences from grief to fertility and everything in between. Join us while we transform our pain into power, encompassing all emotions, ugly and beautiful. Darling Shine is your chosen family and your survival kit for the unexpected shit life throws at you. Hello, Darlinks. Welcome back to Darling Shine. Today we have a hectic episode. It is actually October, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we thought we would get Bianca Innes on to share her story. So in April 2017, Bianca thought she was just a regular 20-year-old living her best life and then overnight everything changed when she became the youngest Australian ever to be diagnosed with breast cancer. When we heard about Bianca's story, we just thought we have to get her on. We have to raise awareness. We have to make some noise about this. And we also have a special bonus episode coming out this week, Friday, so in two days, coming out with Samantha from the National Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, So we have a nice chat to her about the latest advice on what to look out for when it comes to early breast cancer detection. We know that one in seven Australian women will be diagnosed in their lifetimes and early detection gives you the best chance of survival. So let this be your reminder to touch your tits regularly, guys. Get to know your body. It might just save your life. And wow, Bianca's amazing. She has so many such good little nuggets of information and so many good one-liners that I just left this chat going, oh my God. But also guys, we do have to let you know that this episode touches on some heavy topics. So a disclaimer in there, in addition to cancer, we also talk about Bianca's mental health struggles. And if this chat triggers anything in you, please seek professional help and know that Lifeline is always there to lend an ear. You can call them on 13 11 14 or text them on 0477 13 1114. All right, let's get into Bianca's story. So at my uh, six-year cancer anniversary, so I was officially declared in remission, I sat with one of my best girlfriends. She took me to the bathhouse in Corumban and she was she's really spiritual and into manifestation and really planning. And she was like, so what does the next five years look like for you? And I said, well, I really want to start getting my message out there again. And I think I've got a different perspective. You know, now being 27, I'm a mum, but I'd love to get on Darling Shine podcast. And she was like, no way. She was like, you should do it. And I was like, oh, I ummed and ahed for ages. Like didn't know because I'm thinking like, you guys are such a big podcast. Anyway, I was having a shit day and I just sat in the Bunnings car park in Rabina. Oh my God. And I got on the Darling Shine website and I emailed you guys. I emailed and shared my story through like the inquiry. And then I didn't hear anything and I was like, oh, whatever. But did we respond to the email? Fuck. We're hopeless. We suck. No, no. But then I was just chilling one night. I had a couple of red wines and I checked my phone and I saw Darling Shine. I was like, yes, that's weird. Someone must have sent something like a post. And then I came back and I opened it and I was like, actually get fucked. There is no way. And now to hear that you guys (laughs) actually never saw that email and that it's just was meant to be is amazing. What the hell? Yeah, because I hit you up on Instagram. I was like, I, oh no, you hit us up on Instagram or something. And I was like, I need, we need to share this story because it's so like 
for us, that's what we're about, you know, trying to help women and, and men as well. Um, and I was like, we're going to get you on the podcast. And we thought that it would make the most sense to get you on in October as it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah, for sure. So welcome. And we're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. you. I'm so glad everything aligned. It's just, yeah, really cool that it kind of came to fruition, which is sick. So good. Yay. Well, let's start from the top. So you were diagnosed with cancer at such a young age. Can you tell us about how old you were on that day? It was back in 2017. I was 20 turning 21 and I felt a lump on my right breast and it was no larger than a pea. And I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just normal. Yeah. Um, and I went in and saw the GP and she had a feel of it, had a look and she said, oh, don't worry. It's just a fatty cyst or tissue really common in girls your age when around the time of your period, you know, changes, things like that. Yes. I get, I feel like that, that is kind of a thing you get, those weird little lumps. Yeah, 100%. And that's what they said. And so I, I kind of was like, oh, okay, cool. That's what it is. But I something within my gut was like, let's just triple check this and make sure that it's nothing. Um, I have just to completely preface, I have no family history of breast cancer, nothing. So I was like, look, can I get any tests done just to make sure what this is? And she's like, you're really young. You're not going to have a mammogram, anything like that. You can get an ultrasound if you want. Like it'll cost you out of pocket. Oh. It's probably going to be just a cyst or fatty tissue. But here you go and gave me the referral. And because she wasn't worried, I guess I wasn't. And I had other things come up. I have I have endo and I had an endo flare up and was in hospital for that. Com obviously completely unrelated. But that was at the time of the original ultrasound. And because the doctor wasn't worried about it, I just kind of put it to the side and thought, let's just deal with this first. Fast forward probably eight weeks later, I felt the lump again and it was the size of a 50 cent coin. Fuck, that's um, massive. And I couldn't lift my right arm. So did you feel it? Like, was it small and then it kind of disappeared and like kind of got smaller and bigger or was it, did it just consistently get bigger from the size of the pea? It just consistently grew, yeah. But I think that I wasn't being vigilant. Like I wasn't checking my boobs to know that it was changing. Yeah, you weren't worried. Yeah. No, I wasn't worried. And you had your endo going on. Yeah, I had stuff going on. And mind you, I was 20. Like, it's not uh, like I, if it was now and I'm 27 and, you know, you've got life going on. Like, I was planning on where I was going out that weekend. <laughs> I wasn't planning on, like, a booking in this ultrasound. You know what I mean? And so I felt the lump again. It was the size of a 50-cent coin. And then to pull my right arm down to, like, turn the steering wheel was starting to hurt. And I thought, oh something's not quite right here. So I went and I had that original ultrasound on the Friday and they checked the lump on my right breast and they obviously checked the lymph nodes under the arm as well. They could see that there was a lump on the boob, but they couldn't see anything in the lymph nodes. This same doctor has called me back um, on the Monday and has said, look, we." she sat me down with my dad and she said, we need to get this biopsy to check that it's not cancer. Whoa. And I just, I was like, wait, what? I thought this is just like a fatty cyst or tissue, something really common that you told me. You know, obviously things start to get ramped up at that point. And just for a bit of context as well, that was a short week. It was the Easter long weekend. So it was Good Friday at the end of that week. And then obviously we have the Saturday, Sunday, and nothing happens on Monday, Easter Monday. So we've got two short weeks in a row and we needed to get answers. 
And I remember trying to find an appointment to get this biopsy done. And I was going around to all these radiology clinics and I was beside myself because I've just been told that like we're looking for cancer now. And I was in the receptionist, the reception area of this radiology place and a radiologist pulled me aside and actually brought me into her office. And she said, look, you really need to calm down. There's a 0.03% chance of you having breast cancer at your age. Oh my God. So like it's, you need to just chill out a bit essentially. And I was like, okay, for some reason it didn't. You know, my dad was there and my dad's a force of nature and we managed to actually get a emergency appointment for the Wednesday, the Wednesday morning, and remembering that it's Good Friday. Did you have like an awful gut feeling? Like, um, I think it wasn't until the day of the biopsy that I had the gut feeling because they brought me in and it was a it's an all female clinic, so obviously my dad couldn't come in with me, but my stepmom came in with me. It was a radiologist, a sonographer, a nurse, my stepmom, and myself. And they told me they're going to biopsy, obviously, the what was the tumour in my breast. They do the ultrasound and then they checked under my arm again, which they had done the previous week. And they said to me, we need to biopsy the lymph nodes under your arm now. And I kid you not, every, like I've got chills saying it now, every single woman in the room started crying. Oh my God. And then it was oh. that, it was that moment. That was my gut feeling. Then I knew all right, like we're in trouble here. And holy shit. I looked at the doctor, Dr. Jackie, and she's amazing. She's the most incredible woman. And I looked at her and I remember saying to her, have you ever had to do this to someone my age? And she just replied no and started crying. Well, I was told that this test result, because it's got to get sent to pathology and all this sort of stuff, is going to take anywhere between 24 to 48 hours to get back to me. And because it was the Easter long weekend, it was Wednesday, you know, I could be essentially waiting until next Wednesday for this result. So we didn't really know, you know, what to expect. We're in limbo. And the procedure itself was a core biopsy. So when you think of like an apple core, you're taking the core out of an apple, you're sticking something into the tumour and then taking out a big chunk of it so then they can test that. So obviously the pain was really bad and something that I wasn't expecting. And so this test result, I was told, would take 48 hours to return, came back in 16 hours, and that same GP called my dad on his phone. Oh, my God. I was about to say that. Can they speed up this process? Because, like, obviously it's quite a serious matter and they all knew that it was quite serious. Yeah, and it seems like they really did because at 7 o'clock the next morning, that same GP called my dad and said, you need to bring her in now. I went in with my brother who's 11 years older than me and my dad and we lost my mum when I was seven. So it's just been my dad, my brother and I for a long time and now we have my beautiful stepmom and stepsister. It was just my dad and my brother and we sat down with this doctor and this doctor held my hand and she said, I'm sorry, you have cancer. It's aggressive, it's spreading fast and you need to start chemo next week. Wow. Out. I have so many questions. Yeah, go for it. Oh my God. What? So in that moment, like what were you, what the hell was going through your mind? Like I was 20. I think that what would be going through my head now would be a little bit different. But at the time, literally, the first thing I asked her is, am I going to lose my hair? That was the first thing that I asked. Because when you're 20 and turning 21, 
I didn't know anyone that had cancer. I didn't, you don't see people in the street with it. You didn't see it on social media. My thing was, is that people are going to know that I am sick and they are going to pity me. They are going to exclude me, treat me differently. And and I'd, I've gone through a lot in my life already where I've experienced that and I didn't want this to be another defining moment. So I literally, I said to her, am I going to lose my hair? And she just turned around and said, oh, don't worry, it'll grow back. Oh my God. What about your dad and your brother? How were they? Because obviously, because men actually can get breast cancer too, am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like not a common thing. Obviously the stats come out like the following year of how that year looks. And just to give a bit of perspective, in 2017, there was 17,586 women diagnosed with breast cancer and 144 men in Australia, with only one of those being 20 years old or younger. And I was that one. No fucking way. Yeah. Oh my God. And like statistically, what's the usual age range of someone to be diagnosed with cancer? Like it's way higher than 20, obviously. Well, it's obviously, it's very dependent because there is so many different types of cancer. But with breast cancer, from speaking to my doctors, they hadn't seen anyone this age. So they were kind of, they were basing all of their plans off women 30 and up. Because Mm, it's something, you know, as women, it's something that I think it's something that our mums spoke about and our aunties and our grandmothers. And it was, it was something that as young women, we really didn't experience. Our breasts are at a young age, they're there because they probably look great and you can get them out and you've got a banging body in your 20s and 30s and then you get to have babies and you get to nourish them. And then later in life, you kind of get to this point that that you don't see them that way anymore. And I think that that's also when people are diagnosed with breast cancer in those ages, there's so much more information for them. Because they've already been through all these other ring rolls of life. Yes. I couldn't imagine going through something like that so young. And I also couldn't imagine going through that without your mum. Did you feel like you had, like your stepmom, was she a good like motherly figure to kind of go through this with? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was one of those moments that it really brought us together because she's never going to be my mum. My mum can never be replaced. But it was at this moment that I really, I saw how much of an incredible, I already knew, but how much of an incredible woman she was and the reason that my dad is so in love with her because she was able to step up not only for me, but she stepped up for the man that was supporting me, you know? So for that, I have the utmost respect. Oh, that's so, so so sweet. And what about your, like your friends too? Because I feel like at 20 years old, you're, you're pretty much kind of sort of freshly out of school. You're starting your careers. You're all, you're young, you're partying, you're, you're traveling. How did your friends react to your diagnosis and how did they support you through this? I actually, I had a really difficult time navigating friendships um, wow. during my diagnosis because for the reason, like you said, you're 20, it's, it isn't on the radar. You want to go out, you want to be doing all the things that 20 and 21 year olds do. And I had so many incredible people step up. And I think when you go through these sort of things in life, you have people that you expect to be there and they just don't have the capacity to. And that's nothing on them. It doesn't make them a bad person, but they they just can't do it. 
and that's okay. But then you have people that will completely surprise you out of nowhere and will give you, they will just say something that will just makes you feel so seen and heard. And in all of that, and I had some incredible friends, but my one rock was my best friend, Sam, and we've been best friends since we were 15, since I moved to the Gold Coast. And she's just, we're like you too. You know what I mean? We're just larrikins. And <laughs> like we used to sit at the back of her place in Southport when I was going through treatment. I was bald as a badger, so sick. And we'd get two bottles of white wine for $14 and we'd sit out <laughs> the back and we'd sing into a broom and we'd sing ABBA for hours. And <laughs> it was, you know what? Like it was a really awful time, but there's no way that I could have got through it without her because we just laughed and we made light. Like she can't touch someone with a shaved head. So she could never t- touch my hair. Like things like this that were funny or, <laughs> you know, like I remember when my hair started falling out, I stayed at her house and, and I looked at her pillow and my hair was all over it. And she goes, well, go on, you don't leave it there. You're going to clean it up. And I thought, oh, so I right. this is the way the friendship's going. You know what I mean? So I think that it doesn't, you don't need a massive, massive support network. You just need a couple of really good ones that get you through because sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming when you've got such a big support network because you're already, you're doing the best you can. Quality over quantity, 100%. I totally agree with that as well. I'm really thankful to have gone through that at a young age because it just siphoned out the bullshit. Now I know I've got some yeah, real ones. A hundred percent. But that was the, or the second major thing you'd gone through in your life because were you seven when your mum passed? Yeah, I was seven when my mum passed away, yeah. Like I'm sure you were already kind of a deeper thinking person after having to go through such a crazy life transition when you were young. Yeah. My dad is my absolute hero. I actually named my son after my dad. Aww. He Aww. Did you? Yeah, little Matthew, miracle Matthew and... Oh, he is that's beautiful. My dad has had a really, really hard life himself, and he is the strongest man that I know. And he wouldn't, he's stoic and he just gets shit done. And I just got it from him. There's no choice. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I've got shit to do. Like, there's, I've got a bigger purpose here. I've got to. You're making me cry. <laughs> I'm literally crying. Oh, this is so heavy. Oh, your dad's but, so um, cute. It's so freaking beautiful that you named yeah. your boy after him. We have we have to get into that later because I, I heard that you were told that your reproductive system was not going to work. Was, is that right? Yeah. So I think it's important that we kind of go down that route and um, explain because I was actually put into medically induced menopause the same day that I was I was told that I had cancer. From that appointment in the morning with that GP doctor, they essentially got all the ducks in a row for me and got all the best doctors in line because no one had seen anything like this before. They were throwing spaghetti at the wall until something stuck. So we were lucky in that regard that we had appointments for the rest of the day essentially to go to. In the appointment that I sat down with my oncologist, he said, you know, do you have a partner? And I said, oh, no, I don't. Why is that? And he said, well, we don't have time to freeze any eggs. This cancer is wow. aggressive and spreading fast. And I think it's um, also important just to mention what the diagnosis was. It was grade three, which is the fastest spreading 
there's three grades um, in, in terms of aggression. Fucking hell. So it was graded as grade three um, and stage 2B. So what that meant is that the tumour itself was larger than four centimetres in diameter mm. and had spread to some of the lymph nodes in the right arm. Another part of that diagnosis is that it was triple positive. So it was positive for estrogen, progesterone, and then a receptor called HER2. So to break that all down in layman's terms, every hormone in my body was feeding this cancer. Wow. Oh my gosh. I've heard of how if you were to get pregnant and you have cancer and you don't know about it and you get pregnant, it just can take your cancer from stage one to yeah, stage three or five or something really quickly. I'm just literally dying thinking about your poor dad, probably thinking that he's going to lose his second woman, like his other girl. Yeah, I really actually want to rewind a little bit and touch on your dad again. And because obviously finding out that your daughter has breast cancer at such a young age and you're his baby girl, he's like you said, he's already lost his wife. How did he kind of take this news and how did his life change from that point forward? Did did he break down? Did he just sort of stand up? Was he your rock? Like how how did how did that evolve as the treatment progressed? Yeah, so um, dad had actually had his own battle with prostate cancer when I was 14. So he was kind of well-versed in the cancer sphere, I guess. I was sheltered a lot from that process when I was that age. In terms of supporting me, he just didn't waver. He, from the moment that we were told that I have cancer, he just, he did everything. Oh, He's, wow. yeah. He re- I really wouldn't be the woman that I am today without him. Oh, my God. Dads oh. and their daughters, I just want to cry. They're so cute. That is beautiful. Yeah, yeah we've just, I think I have a very, very colourful life story just beside from the breast cancer, but Dad and I have really endured a lot together and this was just another one. This was just, he just told me it's another chapter in the book that you're going to write one day and that's how we took it and it will be. Oh, shout out to dad. He seems like a bloody legend. Oh, he's the coolest dude. And he just like, he's 73 and he just does not give a fuck. And (laughs) I love that. Go Matthew. Yeah, he's just the best. He's a G. Once you got the diagnosis and you waited for the results, you saw all the doctors, what did the treatment process look like and how did it all roll out? When I received that diagnosis, um, being obviously triple positive, they needed to shut down my reproductive system. So that was the first thing that they did uh, the day I was diagnosed. And so each month then for the remainder of this, however long I was going to take, I was to have a big needle into my stomach that essentially puts your reproductive system to sleep. It gives it some sort of protection over the chemotherapy and the radiation that you're going to go through. And the way the doctor explained that to me is that it's essentially a blanket. It can't confirm that anything is going to be saved, but it is a process that they can do in the issue that you can't, you don't have time for fertility treatment. So that was the first thing that we did. And then the treatment plan was to be uh, six months of chemotherapy. Uh, In the first 12 weeks, I would do chemo every week for 12 weeks. And then I would have a lumpectomy 
to remove just the tumor and some of the lymph nodes under my right arm. And then I was to start another round, a higher dose of chemotherapy, which would essentially try to eradicate any other cells in the lymph nodes that they didn't take out or anything else that's like bouncing around in the body. And then after that, I was to do 30 rounds of radiation over a consecutive 30-day cycle. Wow. And as you guys know, things with medical plans, they don't they don't go to plan. So yeah. that was that was what was on paper, but it looked very different, my whole process of that. But that was, yeah, that was it on paper. Wow. So how long did it, sorry, span over like from start to finish? Yeah. So I was diagnosed um, on the 14th of April in 2017 and I was declared cancer-free on the 24th of January, 2018. Okay. So eight, nine months, I'm not good at maths, but it felt like a long fucking time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fully. How did all the surgeries and the treatment process kind of alter your relationship with your body? And how did you stay so strong and resilient through them all? That I was told that obviously I am going to lose my hair. And my oncologist suggested I had hair that was about the same length that I do now. It's quite long. It's so luscious. So luscious. Now it is. Thank God. But I... um. He said, look, I think that you should cut it into a bob just to make the transition a little bit easier for yourself. So I thought, all right, booked yeah. in that day, chopped it into a bob, did that. And then two weeks into my first round of chemo, I noticed that my hair was starting to fall out. And I've got some photos that I can share with you guys too. But it was coming out in clumps. Like it was really, really gnarly. And that was really traumatic for me because I just felt like with each piece of hair that was falling out, I was losing a part of myself. I know it's just hair, but as a woman, it's our identity. It's our femininity. It can be our comfort blanket. It's something that we play with when we're anxious. Yeah. Like it's so much more than just hair. Literally. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And so as each clump was coming out, I just was starting to break. And I thought, no, nah, fuck this. So again, my dad and my hero, I said, get the clippers out, sit me down and let's shave it off. And so that's what we did. He sat me down and we both cried and my family sat around me and we shaved what I had left off. And the moment that I almost let cancer completely break me, it was at that moment that I thought, nah, I'm making it my complete bitch. And I went in, I had a shower. <laughs> I, I did all my skincare. I did my makeup. And I took a selfie and that day I posted it on my Instagram to whoever wanted to see. And I just said, hey, this is me um, and this is what I'm going through. And in that way, it was amazing because it gave me the power back. And I think cancer is something that really robs a lot of people of many, many things. Too many. You just fucking oh. owned it. Yeah, I just thought, I thought, nah, I've got... I've got stuff to do. I'm not going anywhere. You are so strong. I want to talk about, so your reproductive system was basically put on hold. They, they put the injection in. They kind of said, you may not actually get it back. Is that right? So you didn't really know if you would ever be able, that would ever be able to work again and you'd be able to have kids. And I was fully in complete menopause. So... At I, 20. At 20. Yeah. So if well, you, I was going to ask you the same thing. I was like, what do you, yeah. you've already dealt with the, the cancer bomb on you to be kind of like 
trying to process that you might not be able to have your own children. Could you process that or was that like not even on your mind because you've obviously got cancer that you're trying to kick in the butt? Was that hectic for you or because I'm like fucking melting with that thought? Yeah, it was absolutely devastating. And in regards to fertility, I lost my mum at a young age and it was a very tumultuous time before we lost her. I knew that I wanted to be the mother to a child and give a child what I didn't have. You know, I had an AMH of zero. I was completely in menopause. I thought, okay, this might be it for now. There's going to be a way. There has to be a way. And that's what got me through when I had to hold the stairs to walk down because my bones were so brittle from menopause. Whoa. That's what got me through when after my cancer, I was trying just to get back to normality and working in a restaurant and I'd get hot flushes and my face would burst out. And I knew every time that that nearly broke me and it did, and it still does. I knew that there's just, there's, there's my, I'm going to have a baby. I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know in what way, but I'm not going through this shit in this life to not get that prize because that's not who I am. I deserve that. And so do you. Yeah. Amen. It was tough. And I didn't have a partner at the time either. So I, I, it was raising questions like, do, was someone going to ever want to date me if I maybe might not be able to have children? I was, you know, I'm starting to think maybe I'll meet someone that has their own kids and I'll just be a stepmom. All these things go through your head and you just have to process them. And a big thing for me is that I write. I just write it all down and it's ugly and it's messy and... But you know what? Once it's out of your brain, it just feels a lot lighter, a lot. Do you often go back and read your earlier journaling and see how far you've come? Yeah, for sure, yeah. When I was going, I sat down with my doctor and I said, where can I find support? Where can I find people like me going through this? You know, it was 2017. There wasn't podcasts like what you guys are doing and you can search an episode and find someone going through what you're dealing with. There was nothing like that. And he said to me, oh, like there's actually no support groups out there for women with breast cancer at your age. Oh, my God. I thought, fuck that. There's these incredible foundations, mind you, McGrath Foundation, Breast Cancer Network Australia, Pink Hope, Cancer Council. But there was nothing specific for women in their early 20s going through breast cancer. And like I was saying with you, Chloe, I was really struggling with trying to process this because not to put words in your mouth, but how I was feeling at the time is that nobody else fucking could understand what I was going through. How could you possibly Mm. get it? It's not your body. You're not going through it. So don't tell me to be positive or that it'll all work out and shit because you don't fucking know that. Fully. So let me process it. Yeah. Like let me just be. You don't need to fix it because if you can give me the outcome that I want right now, then go for it. But otherwise... Just sit in the dark with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fucking oath. You took the words out of my mouth. I try and articulate it, swear to God, on a daily basis to people. And I just like, I literally just cry. I'm like, it's so fucking confusing. And that's why when I couldn't find this support, I started writing and that that was my own support. And then I started reading back to it and I thought, fuck, this is actually not too bad. 
<laughs> You're a writer. Yeah, I'm pretty good. So <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a blog and I called it Going Topless. And it was yes. essentially, it wasn't just about taking my top off. It was everything else that that represents. The fact that I was completely stripping down things like grief, loss, infertility, cancer, these big things that happen in life. There's no rule book for them, unfortunately. And when people go through them, it completely takes their voice away. They have nothing. They have nothing to give. They don't know how to even receive. And so if my writing could give these people the words that they can't articulate, then that was how I was going to help people. For instance, you know, Chloe, you're going through this. You can't articulate how you're feeling about your hair loss or all this sort of thing. You could just send my link straight to Chloe, uh, straight to Elodie, sorry, and not have to say anything. Sometimes people don't know what to say, so they say too much. And mm-hmm. I just wanted it to be a place where someone could read it and just go like, oh, they get it. Like they get it. Yeah. And so that's how I created my support. And I think that's, there's, I've got thousands and thousands of words that never got published. And, but a lot of them were about me processing my fertility and what did that look like for me? Because menopause was awful. It's, you know, vaginal dryness. You couldn't, no no lube would work. (laughs) Nothing. Whoa. You know, and that's something that's not spoken about. And it's, as women, we should be talking about it. Like it's something that we all go through. I was going through it at 20, but my neighbor who's 50 is probably going through it right now. So why aren't we speaking about it as women? Fully, exactly. And so it was navigating all that sort of stuff as well, like trying to figure out how to involve pleasure into my life while going through something tragic and traumatic and painful because that is such a big facet of life. Can you please write a book? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to. Do. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> You've already done it, it sounds like. You just said put it together. Yeah. I'm going to get my publisher onto you. Oh. <laughs> don't tell me that's too much pressure. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> I read yours on my Kindle and I finished it the other day at the park. Oh, no way. In Palmy, yeah, because I had got through it, but I didn't realise there was all the beautiful photos at the end. I didn't think I'd get it on my Kindle. Oh. And so I'm sitting there in the park and my partner's Nick is with Matthew pushing him around and they were like on the train. They were, he was like, oh, get a photo. And I've got my sunnies on. I'm fucking crying. Stop. Looking at these beautiful photos of you and Chumpy. And I thought, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, wipe my face off, get the camera act all cool. So it was all good. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was really, really beautiful to read. You did a very good job in it. Oh, thank you. Well, I had help. I had a ghostwriter, but sounds like you're already an author. So I'm going to get my publisher seriously in contact with you because the way you speak about your journey is fucking amazing like you. you are so inspiring thank you and you'd be helping so many people like is your biggest message just get checked get your boobs checked like doesn't matter how young you are I think my two biggest messages is get to know your body that not just your mm. boobs if you get to know your boobs maybe now and then you're due for your period in a week check your boobs again so you know the difference um yeah for instance, you know, you know your body. A doctor doesn't know your body the way that you do. You live in it every day. So if you know that something's up, advocate for yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Um, I think that's one of my biggest messages. And mental health is, it's, you know, it's harped on about so, so much, but from someone who has been deeply, deeply affected 
by what I have been through and have got to the other side of it. I just want people to know that you don't need to make a permanent solution on a temporary thought. I'm very, very passionate about that. I love that. When you went through everything, how did you keep on top of your mental health? Because I'm sure you had some extremely dark days. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think it was, I was so busy during it. I really put my all into writing this blog and I was able to connect with so many women from all over the world, literally from like Outback Australia to Albania. I had one woman reach out and was like, thank you so much like for this. And I connected with a beautiful girl, Renee, and we were around the same age and she lived in Melbourne. We would talk all the time and I was helping her and she was helping me and she beat her cancer and her cancer came back not long after she passed away. And it was at that moment that I realised that I'm doing this to help people but I can't save people. And that was really, really, really hard. You know, she was 26 at the time. She had a whole life ahead of her. And after Renee passed away, I never met her personally. We would only speak over social media, but we felt like friends because we were going through the same thing. And I almost had like survivor's guilt. So my mental health from then really took a downturn and it's been something that I've had to navigate, but it got to the the point of escalation that I checked myself into a mental health hospital for two and a half weeks to equip myself with the tools to deal with what I've been through. And I sat down with a psychiatrist actually, and I think I'm one of those people that I just get on with it. I've had a lot of struggles in life, so I've just kind of saw this as another one and just kind of kept going. And when I sat down with a psychiatrist and he said, the fact that you haven't broken yet, and you should know that you're going to be okay but let's equip you with these tools so that you can continue on because I didn't get this far just to get this far. I didn't really tell many people. I kind of, you know, I actually didn't even tell my best friend that I had checked myself into hospital. I felt really shameful and I said, I'm really struggling. I'm in hospital and I need help. This was one thing that I just couldn't do on my own. And she had no idea that I was struggling the way that I was because I am the person that I am. I choose, like you guys say, it's to turn my pain into power. I'm not going to sit here and just wallow. That's not life. It was the best thing I ever did and I'm so proud of myself for doing it. I think that our mental health can sometimes get put to the sideline and it shouldn't. And I think that there is strength and power in finding out just how to deal with life. Wow, I feel like so many things that you're saying right now are like hitting home for me really hardcore. And with checking yourself in, how hard is it to check yourself into like a mental health hospital and like how bad do you have to be? It's all relative. If you're going through a hard time, only you can make that call. It was terrifying and it was so daunting and it is very eye-opening. Where I went, it wasn't it wasn't like a rehab resort where you get massages and go have a psychology session and it was hard, like brute work and it was nitty gritty stuff and you're hearing a lot of other shit that people have been through as well. There's power in that and there's power in sharing stories and learning, okay, well, you struggled through this. How did you get through that? And they give uh-huh. you one bit of wisdom and that could just get you the next day. And if you can't get to the next day, just do whatever you can to get yourself to the next hour. Okay. If you need help, go get the help. There's no shame in it. Yeah. 
the people around you, they might not know that you're struggling and likely they're going to turn around and go, what? I had no idea. Okay. I had absolutely no idea. Asking, hey, how are you? And actually listening to someone's reply and be willing to accept, if it's not good, how are you? And we're getting better at that. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I actually have been saying this quite often. I want to be a better listener and actually more an engaged listener because, yeah, I you just don't know what the next person is going through. Any people put up these strong fronts and you just... You don't know how much they're hurting inside or, you know, what's happening with their family or, you know, it's free to be kind. So I think that we all need to practice that a little bit more. So I imagine after Renee passed away, that would have just been super confronting. Not only did you lose your friend, but were you so fearful that you were maybe going to have your cancer come back as well? Yeah, definitely. And um, I had a lot of fear during treatment as well because... Um, I had a severe allergy to my chemo, which affected my heart. So I had many, many close calls. I remember sitting with my sister in a, in the hospital room and it was just her and I, and I just cried and I said, I don't want to die. My gosh. Um, I said, I just, I don't want to die. And I think that's a really important point. Those two things, like there can be duality in feeling so sad and not wanting to be here in that mental health and then when you're faced with a health crisis like this, wanting to fight so hard, those two things can exist in one. You don't have a choice either. No, you really don't have a choice. I still live with that fear. I still live with it every day and especially now having Matthew, it's... I don't want to go anywhere. I've got too much shit to do, like I said. Yeah, you do. You're a, you know? you're a superhuman yeah. and you're obviously a super mum and you've got so much ahead of you. Thank you. Thank I'm you. I'm so grateful for you. I want to touch on your baby and you said that you had an AMH of zero. You've gone through menopause. How did this happen? I should preface how I met my partner because I did have my baby with my now fiancé. We actually met at Burley Hotel tap this tall guy on the shoulder. And I just booked my Europe trip because my 21st birthday I spent in the oncology ward in hospital. So I was about to go to Europe and I was going by myself and and we start talking and he goes, oh, what's that date on your wrist? Which it says the 24th of the 1st, 2018. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to drop like the cancer bomb on him. Like that's so heavy. Just met this cute guy. But fuck it. I'm going to Europe. Like I'm doing my single girl summer. Also, it shouldn't be something that I'm ever ashamed to hide. I said, oh, actually, that was the date that I beat cancer. And he said, that's really weird. That's my brother's birth date that's tattooed on your wrist. And I said, wow, that's weird. And then turns out I actually knew his brother. He was a grade above me at school. Nick is the eldest of three boys and they sadly lost their mum to breast cancer. But when we met, it was obviously a big thing that I might not be able to have kids. I was very open. Obviously, the relationship eventuated and COVID happened and we went into lockdown together. I was becoming terribly, terribly depressed from this injection that I was having that was putting me into menopause. It was the catalyst of sending me into hospital, really. So we sat down and I sat down with my doctor and I said, look, I need to come off this medication that's putting me into menopause, even if it is saving my life. I can't, this isn't living. 
and I said, I would love to try and have a baby. He sent me off to a fertility specialist who checked my AMH and it came back at zero. Came off the medication and it was still, I think it came up to two. And Mm -hmm. my period came back for the first time out of nowhere. And I thought, I honestly was like, what is going on? Didn't remember even what to do. (laughs) It had been that long. (laughs) And, um, you know, I didn't have any hopes or anything like that. I was checking ovulation. I was trying to track a cycle that I'd only had one cycle of after being in menopause. I didn't know what to expect. You know what I mean? I was due for my second period and we're away at a winery. We came home and we actually ended up having a big blow up that night of my birthday. Not a big blow up, but just like a tiff. I was like, my period isn't here. I've got this really bad cramping. Fuck it. I'll just like, there's no way I'm not ovulating, nothing. Like I've been in menopause. And I peed on this stick and I called Sam, my best friend, and I said, you fucking never believe it. There is no <laughs> way. I love yeah. goosebumps. You can see my arm Like, wow. I'd always wanted to be a mum and I'd that's all I'd longed for, but um, I was just so scared. I thought, can I do this? Is this fair to be bringing a baby into uncertainty of what my life is in terms of, I can get sick again. That is a risk that I run. We quickly realise like how much of a miracle he really is and he made sense of it all. You go through things in life and you just have these little moments and you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. He was one of them and he didn't, it's not his job to heal me, to fix me, to carry my burden, to carry my pain, but he has just given me a happiness that I really I have never known and I've just only ever really known pain. Yeah, that is just the most beautiful, beautiful little bit of light at the end of the tunnel after all that far out. I'm so happy for you because that's just so, so special. Like, honestly. Thank you. I've got like goosebumps and like that's just so precious and I'm bloody stoked that you got him and I'm sure he brought so much joy to your family after such a like horrendous time in your life. The day that I had that injection put into my stomach to put my whole reproductive system to sleep, my beautiful obstetrician, and she said, now you promise me I'll deliver your first baby. And I said, oh, yeah, all right, thinking like I'm never going to have a baby. It was Nick, a midwife, herself. I gave birth to Matthew and her and I looked at each other and we just, it all made sense. It was High five. Yeah, we did it. How bloody good. That is just so, so fucking incredible. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I've just said, wow, 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 wow. No wonder why Minnie says wow a lot because like, wow, so special, seriously. From the moment that he was born to, I guess, now, how has your life changed and how how is it, was it as you expected or is it not as you expected or... Oh, they're just like these little bombs that go off and just turn your whole world upside down. They turn your relationship upside down. They they change the way that you view your own parents. They it's given me a lot of a lot more understanding of my own mum because she had her own struggles and I, she's not here to share that her own story and that's hers to tell. But I now have a lot of empathy for. Whereas growing up, I was probably quite angry understand that she was just a mum trying to do her best and a woman trying to do her best like we all are 
it's brought my dad and I infinitely closer and it's given my dad a whole new purpose and lease in life to have this, you know, every Monday is Poppy and Matthew days and they have the whole day together. The way that he has changed my whole world is that he's just, he's made sense of it. He's completely made sense of why I'm here because some parts of my childhood, I don't, I don't have some of the happiest memories. I had beautiful, beautiful moments, but there's some better memories that I wish I had. And I now get to see the world through his eyes. That's just the coolest thing. It's so healing. You get to relive those moments in a way with him. Yeah. And I'm sure you feel the same way with Minnie. It's just like the coolest, yeah, coolest thing. They must be the same age. They actually are. Minnie and Matthew must be the same age. Is Matthew 18 months? He's born in Feb. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. cute. We'll have to get them together. Yeah, so we'll have to go to a park or something. I'm, yeah, yes. I would love so that. Cute. He's a funny kid. Oh, I would love it. He must be a bloody legend if he's your son. I guess. <laughs> well, he's named after my dad, so he'd be an even bigger legend. 100%. What would you say to yourself pre your journey? You're 19 years old. You haven't had this diagnosis. You're living an everyday, normal life. What are you telling that girl? knowing everything that's in front of you. Listen to your body. Listen to your body and know your body as a young woman and feel no shame in knowing your body and asking questions about your body because it's the only one that you've got and we treat it like shit. The amount of times that from I reckon 15 or 16 that I did some awful things to my body and it got me up the next day and kept me going so get to know it and be kind to it and be kind to your mind. That's that's my number one. I guess I always have known it, but it just, yeah, I'd tell her that going into this. For sure. Ain't that the truth? I think right now every, actually woman and man, actually if you're driving, don't do this, but when you stop driving, I think everyone needs to put in their phone collectively. The first of every month, we're going to do a group boob check um, not together, but like we're just going to do it. Let's feel it on the first. Feel someone's on the first. Exactly. Just feel anyone's, but feel some tits, please. Do a body scan. That's all yep. I need you to do. On the first of every month, do a, a reoccurring yeah. diary entry in your phone that's going to pop up and say, what did we just, what did you just call it? Feel it on the first. Feel it on the first. Touch your titties. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, far out. What a roller coaster. Thank you guys so much for having me on and like doing what you do, truly. I, I really mean it. You are helping more people than you guys realize. And guys are normal like me. So, and you're going through it. So I appreciate it. So are you, doll. It's been such a pleasure to thank chat you. to you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm just going to go away and cry right now. No, thank you. Oh, oh, oh.